Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the Greatest Generation to Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys. Just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. My wife, <laughs> the other day, my wife, in all seriousness, turned to me and said, how many Star Trek podcasts do you have at the moment? That's great. <laughs> what, would, what would you say you do here, Ben? <laughs> she says during your, your yearly review as a husband. <laughs> now yeah. it says here you've got two. Uh, yeah, and I'm uh, working on getting a third off the ground. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've been reading your iTunes reviews, Ben, and uh, kind of mixed results. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's been a lot of the recent ones, I suppose. Uh-huh. It's true. Uh, we remain, as ever, mm-hmm. the most and best reviewed Star Trek podcast. Yeah. On the internets, and for that, we've got to thank our Miriam friends of DeSoto for doing that. Yeah, I uh, I, I, I exchanged some emails with uh, Andy Secunda of uh, of Star Trek: The Next Conversation, and uh, he was very complimentary of our uh, of our high iTunes ranking. Oh and, yeah, uh, that was nice to hear. A little, uh, you know, I did the. Little, Are you that- starting another rat beef with another Star Trek podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I think that th- those guys might actually get it. <laughs> yeah, they would get the beef. Yeah. Um, but it was nice. I, I mean, like, uh, I'd feel bad now because I got to do that move where you uh, you take your fingernails and you polish them against your shirt while you're receiving the compliment. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, me and the viewers at home are watching you do that right now. I'm extremely talented at receiving, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> And you have extremely polished fingernails. Yeah, look at these like things. Anyone the who's met you, yeah. it's like the first thing people notice about you. Catching the glint of the candlelight. It's yeah. beautiful. It creates a beautiful ambience. Yeah, sure does. <laughs> it is a weird question to answer. What do you do? <laughs> it still is. As we keep hiring people, we're making that their problem as well. Yeah, we're spreading that problem around. It's part more... of our master plan. I think the more people work with and for us, the the less embarrassment yeah. we're going to feel about it. Yeah, yeah. Did the... Andy Secunda have anything to say about uh, how embarrassed he should be about having a Star Trek podcast? <laughs> because you should be embarrassed, Andy. Yeah. yeah. I mean- You we... and everyone else who has a Star Trek podcast. We did the- uh, we, we licked the cookie on that as a tagline, so they can't use it. But in spirit, I think all Star Trek podcasts should have a little bit of that energy. Look at you, exchanging phone calls with Andy Secunda, me exchanging texts with John Champion, like even as we speak. Wow. We're like, we're just, we're a part of, of the greater embarrassment universe. I often wear my Memory Alpha t-shirt around. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I've been a guest on uh, Star Trek and the Jews and on Random Trek. Yeah. Have you been on yeah. any of these shows? <laughs> yeah. You you never miss an opportunity to remind me of about uh, how much more frequent of a guest you are on other shows than I am. No one asks. I think what happens, Ben, if, I'm, if I were to speculate, mm-hmm. I think the request goes into our shared work email inbox. And then you you get it first. You read it first and respond to it first, and then you delete it so I never see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that's how you end up being a guest on all these shows. I I have a um sort of a national parks style approach to our shared email inbox, which is leave no trace. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's also you you not only have a national parks philosophy to the email inbox. You also have a uh, a sex toy rule about mm-hmm. the email inbox. It goes the very same way. Leave no trace <laughs> without a base. <laughs> yeah, I like the most dangerous types of anal toys that they make. Yeah, you put the, the wide end in first. That's what you do. 
<laughs> you know, among all of the constellation of Star Trek podcasts, I would consider ours to be uh, the widest based. Yeah, model. it's the one that's least likely to to send you to the emergency room. I think so. You know? Yeah. You're not going to swerve off the road laughing at a joke. What are the things that, that we know about the greatest generation? Uh, wide base, mm-hmm. dishwasher safe. <laughs> <laughs> safe for all lubricants yeah it uh does it's cfc free doesn't have uh you know you can like put a hot liquid in it and it's gonna be okay takes one of those science class batteries like that big brick thing mm. oh yeah that's that's like unfortunate that that's how it's powered but yeah yeah but those get cheaper and cheaper every year <laughs> yeah gotta take those into the office to get recycled mm-hmm. or like a staples you know <laughs> Why does this battery smell like a butt? <laughs> Sir, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> yeah. Well, Adam, we, we have a big episode to review today. And uh, the further down this anal sex toy rabbit hole we go, the, the, the less likely we are to find a transition into talking about it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just going to pull the ripcord now. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Let's get into it, Ben. It's Star Trek Voyager Season 3, Episode 9. Nine! It's nine! Future's End, Part 2. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> After the catch-up reel, we get a scene where Paris is repairing Rain Robinson's blaupunkt. <laughs> you owe me a blaupunkt! <laughs> While she continues absolutely hounding him yeah. on his secret agent lifestyle. She is totally on to his shit. Boy, you can tell why she's still single, huh? <laughs> Give him a break, Rain. Yeah. Jesus. Up with bullshit she shall not put. Well, she lost a credence tape in that deck. She's going to want that back. Right. Yeah, and and when he and when he plugs something in and a little puff of smoke comes out, she knows that that credence tape is no more. Uh-oh. Yeah. But you get the sense that she's not just computer smart, but she's also perceptive and people smart she's seeing all of these weird word choices and mispronunciations yeah. that paris is using that are proof that he's from a different era you do that a lot you get things not quite right am i making any sense here i thought it was a little bit fucked up that he used the lie strategy that a million boyfriends have used to gaslight their girlfriends <laughs> like yeah. what are you talking about you're nuts for thinking things are weird <laughs> these are normal behaviors I always smell like perfume. (laughs) That's my shower gel. I bought these pants with glitter. (laughs) That's the style of the color. It just comes with a lipstick stain on it. I'm always drunk. (laughs) (laughs) That's my secret. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's a moment here where Sarah Silverman really does the audition, I feel like. And her sincerity that she brings to her dialogue here, I think, is so much more real than it has to be on the page. She's really good. Yeah. They thought about casting her as a like main cast member after this. They should have done more than think about it. Yeah. She rules. Um, Jerry Ryan instead. Spoiler mm-hmm. alert. I mean, Jerry Ryan rules too. Yeah. yeah. But uh, poor K, no loss, both. Yeah. I mean- Listen, if we hadn't had Jerry Ryan on Voyager, Barack Obama wouldn't have been president, and a lot of history would be really different. Would I trade two terms of Barack Obama for another five seasons of Sarah (laughs) Sarah Silverman Silverman. on Star Trek Voyager? It's a tough question, right? Man. (laughs) God damn. It's a weird question, but it's a real question. Yeah, I've got a question. <laughs> Would you trade five seasons of Sarah Silverman for the two terms of the Barack Obama administration? I'm going to go get myself some popcorn. <laughs> I'll take- And not read the comments. Yeah, yeah. Get a life. For the record, we're not inviting anyone to comment about that on the internet. <laughs> That's for us to make a joke about. <laughs> Here's Tuvok with breakfast. Uh, Tuvok, who, God, there are so many scenes in this two-parter that happen off camera that I wish we were there. Like, like the truck, <laughs> the truck jacking is one of them. But also, yeah. Tuvok buying a fast food breakfast. 
Oh yeah. man, inject that into my veins. I want to know Dude. exactly how he got from the entrance to a fast food restaurant to what he ordered and brought back. I know, I know. And like at like at nine AM also, <laughs> like the, the fast food employees are like, okay, and a chili dog? Like all right. And we're- like it's sort of the reverse falling down where the fast food restaurant is still serving breakfast and only serving breakfast. I don't want to be your buddy, Rick. <laughs> and Tuvok is just behind the counter neck pinching people into making him a chili dog. Yeah, yeah. She makes a joke when he brings it over that this is like what you order at Dodger Stadium. And he goes, uh, the COVID testing site? I mean, I've heard of it, but... <laughs> This is why in every subsequent scene depicted in the van, all the windows are down. <laughs> yeah. They are uh, the, like Murph. Everyone is ripping ass left and right. Oh, he just keeps going, doesn't he? We cut out the scene where everyone's very complimentary about the chili dogs and the pizza and the soda for breakfast because it tastes that much better than anything Neelix has ever made. <laughs> yeah, they're- You say this is Mountain Dew Code Red. I thought that there was kind of an interesting missed opportunity here to talk about like the the food though, like mm-hmm. because they have a choice between Neelix food or Replicator food, and that, that that's a terrible choice, right? And they have a gastrointestinal system that's become used to having things beamed out of it, right? Like, they have got to be rocked by this. This should cripple the episode. Yeah, like they're taking dumps for the first time in their lives. <laughs> Jesus, Tuvok, you know you have to wipe. You know you have to take those off before you shit, right? (laughs) But also, like... Is that what um, the roll of woven paper products was? (laughs) Next to the commode. We we know that they're, like, weirded out by eating real animal meat in the future also. So, like, there's a lot of uh, of missed opportunities surrounding the food. Why doesn't this taste like shit? It's pretty good for shit. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can understand there's only a two parter and only so much time, but uh, more fishes out of waters would mm-hmm. be my vote. Yeah. Make it a three parter and make the middle part a number two parter. <laughs> yeah. So what are they going to do now? Yeah. Their combat just don't work and they need to get in touch with the ship to give them their position. So the plan they come up with is to head back up to the Griffith Park Observatory and use Sarah Silverman's existing equipment to get a message to Voyager because it's already done that. Pretty good plan. And it's burrito eyes to theme, but it really is like one eye to theme because it looks like Paris is winking at Mm. Rain Robinson here at the end. I can't tell if it's sun in his eyes or if he's being a little flirty. It's something I was definitely paying attention to as the episode went on. You get away from her, Tom Perez. I saw her first. I'm getting getting all sorts of feelies for Rain Robinson, who you know just demolishes a chili dog in this scene. <laughs> when we come back from theme, we get a pretty funny McLaughlin group that involves Ensign Kim rolling out that plan that uh, Commander Braxton or whatever yeah. came up with. The hobo I just feel plan. Like you, You never see a chart get rolled out on a table in Star Trek. Yeah. You never have to clear off a table in order to roll one out, though. Right. Nobody ever has, like, a a cup of coffee at a meeting in Star Trek. There are no dirty desks on Star Trek, are there? There really aren't. Like, it's like a laptop and maybe a book. It's the most you ever see. I'm just looking around at my own desk. What do you see on your desk? I see... A viewfinder that I was given by Big Rod. I have a, I have a mini Horgon. I have oh, all yeah. of our challenge coins. I have uh, I have our Lego minifigs mm. that were given oh, to those us. Are, those are great. I, I've got... I uh, think those are from the You Haven't Seen What podcast. <laughs> I've got my, my road podcasting board. I've got my wrist rest. I've got a bunch mm-hmm. of concert ticket stubs. Oh, that's, that's adorable. I've got vitamins. I've you got, got anything a, with a flared base over there? I've got canned air. <laughs> I've got a filthy desk is what I'm trying to say. I've got pens and chapstick and coasters and shit all over the place. Hmm. That's, uh, that's upsetting. It's the sign of a dirty mind, isn't it? You're supposed to take your pants off before you do that. <laughs> yeah. I usually think of you as having a fairly squared away desk. I haven't given it the attention it deserves. 
Clearly, mm. I need to I need to do some tidying up. My whole house is a mess from the puppy, Ben. Like every yeah. every area could use some attention. So you've got a chaos agent inside the house. Yeah, I think I've become more comfortable with mess, and uh, I don't like that about me. One thing about the McLaughlin group that really surprised me is when they throw the conch to Neelix, and he talks about what their media exposure has led to. The end of the last episode, it made it feel like such a big deal that the local evening news had footage of Voyager flying through the night Mm -hmm. sky in Los Angeles, and... You know, like maybe it's like an era thing because if this was today, there would be a million angles of the Voyager flying through the night sky and it would be basically impossible to explain away as fake footage. But he's like, yeah, like the reputable news agencies have all kind of settled on this being a hoax, but the the government is the only one that ones that care. I, I've. It just shocked me. Like, I was like, that was like the big, like one of the biggest deals at the end of the last episode was, holy shit, all of humanity knows that there's a spaceship in LA. Yeah. I mean, Neelix really glosses over it when he pivots into uh, the Spice Channel and how if you watch (laughs) the scrambled version long enough, there are several seconds where it clears right up. Yeah. Where you you can can see a boob. Yeah. Janeway is like, Mr. Neelix, can you transfer some of this information to the holodeck so we can get into it in a little more detail? (laughs) Balana, I want you to work on a descrambling algorithm. One of the thrusts of this meeting is that Ed (laughs) Bagley... Is that Ed Bagley Jr. The thrust. Stole 20% of their computer data. And it's so it's not like it was a copy paste. It was a straight up transfer. Yeah. Which leaves a lot of room in their tax documents folder for things like the Spice Channel. Right. Yeah. Which Balan is talking about. They're trying to replace as much as they can, but the Spice Channel would help, you know? (laughs) The doctor counts as like four Spice Channels worth of data (laughs) because the doctor's missing too. And that's just on the laundry list of things that they're dealing with. They have no weapons, and also Paris and Tuvok are still lost. They get word from Paris and Tuvok. Tuvok has like rigged up a flip phone style cell phone to call the Voyager. The signal's not great, but he reports in that they're back at the observatory and they have a new friend in Sarah Silverman. We have become associated with the young woman employed at the astronomical laboratory. They think they can trust her. So the captain is pretty excited about this. They've got boots on the ground. The only thing that seems to be working in their favor is how little Starling knows about his own stolen technology, right? Like, that's the wild card. He's got all of this great shit. He doesn't. And he knows how to use it. Like, he's good at using it. But he also doesn't know that if he uses it in a certain way, he's going to kill himself and everyone else. Yeah, I had really forgotten about the doctor at this point in the episode. We're like almost nine minutes into the episode before the doctor appears and Starling like comes back to his office and materializes the doctor and basically treats the doctor as sort of a hostage slash torture victim. I like how Starling supports my argument for how dangerous <laughs> and dumb he is for both knowing and not knowing how the tech works in that yeah. moment where he takes the doc's com badge because that doesn't do <laughs> shit, but to Starling, it might. And like that's right. that's an example of how he knows like surface level stuff about... 24th century tech, but he does not know that that's not going to do anything to the Hollow Doctor. How did you feel about the mention the Doc makes of his lost memory and like the fact that he's like rebuilding in Uh, this? Finally, was how I felt. (laughs) I was surprised that they brought it back at this point because like they should almost not bring it up. It's been so long. Yeah, but uh, like kind of an interesting moment for this to be where they choose to mention that that is still a going concern. Yeah, yeah. Anyways. There is a fun transference of power in this scene with Doc Holliday's perceived imperviousness to whatever Starling throws at him. His diagnosis of a bipolar disorder as kind of a, not only can you not hurt me, I'm going to diagnose you on the spot with... (laughs) Your shit. (laughs) Diagnosis as weapon. A paranoid response indicative of bipolar personality disorder. And then 
Starling immediately torturing him for that. Yeah, pretty pretty brutal. The doc is being subjected to pain for the first time, and one of the pains he's subjected to is like what it would feel like to be on fire, which is really upsetting. And he's trying to ply the doctor for information about Voyager, but kind of gets distracted by a call from Sarah Silverman. Did you think that the information that he got from the doc would go anywhere? I was surprised that it kind of didn't. Like, this was just kind of torture for torture's sake. It's yeah. It suggested that he'd get useful information from him about Voyager, but it doesn't seem as though he uses any of that down the road. Right. It implies that, like, in a situation where he needs to bargain with the Voyager, his being in possession of the doc is kind of a trump card because it's not just that he controls the doc, he can also subject the doc to suffering, which I feel like Janeway would not discount in her calculation. But uh, that that doesn't wind up becoming a factor because Rain does successfully draw Starling out and he and Dunbar and the doc go <laughs> go out to downtown LA where, where Rain is waiting for them. Weird to see the doc in the in the bright light of day. Yeah. He plays it cool, though. He hops out of the car. He's got a little gadget on the shoulder of his uniform. We finally get to see the doc taking a walk. Yeah. From a distance, Tuvok in Paris is watching this scene. The plan is for Starling to go to Sarah Silverman's van. And this very sophisticated plan is foiled yeah. When Starling wants Sarah Silverman's character to come to the town car instead. <laughs> Didn't think of that one. They're like, fuck! God damn it! We put our dirty undies in the briefcase and we threw it off the bridge and they were on you us the entire fucking time! Ah! And this just gives Tuvok and Paris away. Like, they're across the entire plaza, but this yeah. meltdown attracts a lot of attention. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all of Los Angeles. I mean, usually, like, a place where somebody ranting and raving would kind of go ignored uh -huh. because it's just kind of a part of the tapestry of the city. But right. this really, like, it's big enough that it gets people's attention. That is amazing. At the same time, we've got a BLT and Chakotay in a shuttle en route yeah. to the surface in a kind of reminder that they could have been using a shuttle the whole time. Why did they ever take the Voyager into the atmosphere? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and the shuttle, they talk about having like reconfigured the shield so that unless you're like literally like in visual range, this thing will look on radar like it's a 20th century airplane. It's another scene where BLT is just telling Chakotay about her dreams. Jesus, BLT, like keep something to yourself. <laughs> kind of an oversharer. Chakotay's like, do you want me to uh, get a terry cloth towel that we can put down on that chair? <laughs> it's good. She asked him like what they would do if they get stuck in 1996. And Chakotay kind of has big plans in a real like, Chakotay does not check his human privileges in discussing this with BLT. <sighs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's a fully developed plan in a way that is a little weird in this context. <laughs> like Chakotay in control of a shuttle that by his own choice, he could decide to make a better life here. Retire to some tropical island filled with naked women. Were he to go rogue in a style that the Maquis were sort of known for? Right. And is starting over here not a better life than the one they have on the ship? I think you could make a pretty strong argument that it would be better if they just found an island somewhere and right. and landed the shuttle there. And you're telling me that, that the shuttle doesn't have a laser printer? You could you could <laughs> print out your paperwork and an ID and a diploma and a and a master's degree or something? You give BLT some bangs, she's good to go. <laughs> oh yeah. Bangs would do it. I mean yeah. it would imply that she'd been through a really emotional experience recently which yeah and once the late 90s are over what do you do then what do you yeah you gotta comb point, those things back and yeah, then you're, you're stuck screwed. yeah <laughs> but also i was watching a movie set in the south of france in 1971 the other day and i was like what a romantic time and then it like cuts down to street level and all the cars are like spewing 
horrible shit out the back of them. Every single person have a, has a cigarette in their mouth. And I was like, oh, God, it, it would be so smoky. I would hate living in France in 1971. A Citroen never passes smog. No, <laughs> it does not. <laughs> so the uh, the plan does not go uh, exactly according to plan. <laughs> Yeah, that that's an Austin Powers line if I've ever heard one. <laughs> Allow myself I, to introduce my plan. <laughs> what would you say you do here? <laughs> I can't wait to go do live shows again, Ben. Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. that stuff just fucking hangs in the air in front of an audience. <laughs> This guy is really quick, like verbally. <laughs> Where you could just feel regret in person mm-hmm. for, for yeah. buying a ticket to a thing. Pretty amazing feeling to just, like it saturates the air in a room. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when Sarah Silverman sees Dunbar, she's like, that's the guy that was just shooting at me. Like, he's exactly why I'm scared right now. And he's like, no, no, no. Don't worry your precious little head. He was uh, trying to save you from those crazy men. They get into the car and Tuvok changes the plan on the fly. Gets new coordinates to Chakotay who beams Sterling Ankylosaur. up to the shuttle. There's sort of, it's, it's a struggle transport though, isn't it? He's really yeah. like, uh, he's in the buffer on the shuttle for a while and him yeah. being in the buffer starts scrambling the circuits of the shuttle. It starts bangering around. Yeah. I love flight. the shot while he's like mid-transport holding up whatever little gadget he has. Yeah. He's got what looks like a tricorder. And the look of like disgust and horror on Sarah Silverman's face watching this happen. Yeah. Meanwhile, in the front seat, the dock and Dunbar are just trading punches. <laughs> just brutalizing each other in a way that it, like is really fucked up. Dunbar is the fucking henchman of henchmen, though. This guy rules. Yeah. He's using laser guns he doesn't understand. He's punching people in the face as hard as he can. And those people he's punching are not feeling any pain. He's so brave. Later on, he he's like turns on the time ship. I wondered about this. Like Dunbar must have equity. Must be <laughs> it, it must be more of a partnership. Like Ed Bigley Jr. is the brains and Dunbar is the muscle. But like Dunbar stands to gain just as much because like the problem with henchmen is that they're employees. Like there's no upside for them. The reason hem- henchmen are incompetent in every movie and television show is that like who gives a shit at the end of the day like i don't need to help fucking the bond villain sink the planet or whatever like i don't like i'm not bought in ideologically to his crazy plan exactly i i really got a sense for his capability here but dunbar is is a really impressive hench you're right yeah and really distinguishes himself in these couple of episodes i thought he was great yeah like uh like a a fun performance and uh, and more more richly realized than I anticipated at the beginning. Yeah, but uh, eventually, like Sarah Silverman has jumped out of the car and sprinted away. Then the doc jumps out and sprints away. It's really fun to see the doc like running as fast as he can in um, a way that we've described before on Star Trek. Like any character running as fast as they can just looks weird. <laughs> Yeah, you never see it. Yeah. Especially in like a contemporary context. Yeah. But Dunbar loses this fight. Sterling eventually disappears, but the shuttle is in really bad shape. So Janeway signals to Chakotay that they're going to take over the transport at this point. They can like piggyback off of the transporter buffer on the shuttle and continue it with the ship's transporter. Dunbar speeds off. And they get Sterling to materialize on the transporter pad on Voyager. I've got to get that platinum, get that enlargement. <laughs> a good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, 
and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I've got to get that Latin or not. Are you planning a heist? Gold. Kind of a lot happens during this commercial break, right? Like yeah. the shuttle has crashed and BLT and Chicote come to tied up in some fucking prepper's storage room, it looks like. And and the vibe. <laughs> like I know if I'm feeling this in 2022, what you're feeling in the late 90s is the pawn shop scene from Pulp Fiction. The right. way it's blocked, the the mood of the whole thing, it that's what it felt like to me. It felt so dangerous. Yeah, I guess in retrospect, the pawn shop guys from Pulp Fiction would be insurrectionists. Absolutely, yeah. The federal government is the beast. And that's like the people that have found Chicote and BLT, and they're pretty frightening. Up on Voyager, the captain is explaining to Sterling that like his tricorder has been disabled and that he is their prisoner now. What are you going to do? Shoot me. The thought has crossed my mind. All of this, like, in tandem, and the doc explaining, like, now I can walk around because I have this gadget. In short, I am footloose and fancy free. <laughs> the doc's energy, like, from this point through the rest of the episode is, like, he carries none of the trauma of having been tortured. He is just excited about the fact that his world has opened up suddenly. It's amazing the confidence you have uh, when you realize you can't be hurt. Yeah. It's awesome. Janeway has some news about the crash shuttle, so... She calls Tuvok on his cell phone. <laughs> She's got Ed Bigley on a bio bed. She's called him on a cell phone. <laughs> a shuttle's crashed, its crew's not dead. It is not a Ponfar thing. <laughs> that is not what this call means. <laughs> Janeway needs him to do rescuing. 
Tuvok's gonna do that thing. <laughs> Ever since he went to LA, you, you, you. Seeing Tuvok on a cell phone here just uh, brought that out it. of me. I loved it. Very fun. So the, the insurrectionists are kind of like questioning Chakotay and BLT. They have nailed Chakotay as being an American Indian, but are very curious about BLT's head ridges. If you don't mind my asking, how far down do they go? One of these guys has the shotgun that Muldoon had in Jurassic Park. Yeah, that is a very specific weapon, huh? He calls her a clever girl. <laughs> these guys are your fucking classic Cliff's Notes patriots who don't understand the context of the historical quotes they parrot. Yeah. Like yeah. they've got that super sensitive vibe that raises the stakes on every interaction they have. Right. Because they, uh, they think like an outside force, like any outside force represents a threat to their way of life when like- yeah. Oh, because these people aren't people we are personally familiar with, they must be spying on us because they have a weird plane. And <laughs> The sad part is no one really thinks about them at all. Yeah. Like that that kind of paranoia. And maybe that's the real problem. Maybe it's just the the combination of making a lifetime of safe, boring choices and being ignored by the cool kids in school. Yeah. And the successful adults at your high school reunion is just like a reason to conjure up this fall of civilization fantasy they have in a, yeah, as a way like, to kind of even the playing field. Conveniently, their conspiracy theory has made them like insiders with special information and interesting members of the body politic that they are not really in real life. Like, it's all a fantasy. Like, at any point, they could choose to do something that's interesting, important, or meaningful, or generous, but they'd rather just, like, tear things down to their level. Yeah. It's a narcissism that is hardened to reality because they believe so wholeheartedly in this system that is failing them that they can't see their way out of it. And they believe that they're somehow special because of that, but they're not. Yeah. I mean, they would be ignored, but they've got guns. So Chakotay and BLT are forced to listen to him. He does that thing where he drags the folding chair over and... Uh, sits down with his shotgun and tells them basically, buckle up, we're going to be here for a while. The beast has many heads and I'm looking at two of them. You get the feeling that this is going to be like a Waco situation. At least I did. I really do. I wrote Waco down in my notes. I wonder how present that was for people watching at the time. I mean, it was pretty recent, right? Yeah. It was Waco 93. You hit it on the money, Ben. Congratulations. <laughs> they have Ed Begley in Six Bay and uh, they're getting ready to interrogate him in there. The captain kind of checks in with Tuvok on his celly and uh, explains that uh, Chakotay and Torres are MIA. So Tuvok and the doctor are going to have to go look into things with them. And uh, Paris is going to stay with Rain in the bump mobile and find the time ship in Los Angeles, right? You can feel Paris in this moment. It's like being in, in a class where the teacher is is partnering students up to work on a project and you're just <laughs> hoping that you're paired up with the right person and not the wrong person. Yeah. Paris He's does like not want to go to Arizona. Paris wants to stay with Rain. Yeah. And when Janeway assigns Tuvok and the doctor to go to Arizona, he's like, ah. Oh. Thank God. <laughs> the doctor's like, uh, Captain, I'm bald. Uh, I think Arizona might be hazardous to my skin health. Do you think uh, maybe Paris could do that one and I could stay with rain? The doc is like, I'm bald. <laughs> <laughs> He's bald. What do you think I mean, bald? Bald. Bald, bald. <laughs> so they split up. Janeway really starts to play hardball with Starling. This like interrogation scene is... Pretty intense. She's she she's not the only one with hard balls, though. Yeah. The Starling's like, hey, you fuck with that time ship. It's rigged to explode, which yeah, is basically got... going to create like a Judgment Day situation in L.A. You've seen Terminator 2 Judgment Day, right? 
<laughs> it's got a lot of the same themes as this episode. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's got like a nuclear booby trap, but she's also pulling no punches. She's like, I am considering just killing you because of the danger you pose. I love Kate Mulgrew's gear here. This is something that this is a well that she draws from all the time. She is once again Vidian disgusted. <laughs> with Starling here. And when she whips around and walks off, we uh, we see she's wearing uh, a hair decoration that I haven't seen before. Yeah, yeah. A whole new Luke <laughs> yeah. for Captain Janeway. I like it. His plan is to go to the 29th century and steal a bunch more tech that he can commercialize in his day and, you know, like really plays the billionaire behavior realistically like he's like the tw- like if so what if i destroy earth 900 years from now i've got money to make now the people on voyager appear pretty safe from the time ship's danger but what they don't know is that dunbar is inside that very same time ship hitting buttons trying to find starling yeah he's and, a loyal uh, hench the bond of trust between starling and dunbar is so strong that starling has armed dunbar with a ray gun you know who's got more trust starling in dunbar or rain robinson in tom paris the trust between Rain Robinson and Tom Paris is building at this point. We really start in the trough at the at the beginning of this episode. Yeah, yeah. but I think that their loins are drawing them toward a more trusting yeah. situation. Yeah. They've got trust loins happening that may be <laughs> absent from the Starling Dunbar relationship. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. Back on Voyager, Tuvok has news, so he calls Janeway on his cell phone. <laughs> They're all the way to Arizona. A calls her on his cell phone. Starling transports off the ship. It is not a punfar thing. <laughs> that is not what this call means. Starling's good at escaping. But Tuvok's busy rescuing. I sort of wondered why we were starting recording half an hour late today. Now I know. Yeah, I had to do a bunch of pre-writes, <laughs> which are not that good. <laughs> Adam's jokes are not that good. <laughs> I like them. Rain and Paris definitely warming to each other, driving around LA. Much and, like uh, Chakotay and BLT, like having a flirtatious vibe and you could see them making a new life here if you're paris why would you go back i mean it's kind of in the text of the scene right like she's talking about his being very unusual compared to other men that she's met because he cares about things bigger than himself yeah and those things are almost down to instinct for him. It's not like, it's not a put on. It's not like he's- Things we know that are bigger than himself include Harry Kim's crank. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if if for no other reason he should should leave the sexual orbit of Harry Kim, maybe he'd have a chance. Yeah, he would would be in LA with a snowball's chance in hell. You know what? Maybe that's why he never invites Rain Robinson up to Voyager at the end of the episode. He knows he'd yeah. lose her to Harry Kim. He doesn't want to uh, Mintakin leader her. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So Dunbar manages to rescue Sterling from Voyager. This uh, this happens off screen. This is like a Harry Kim going like, we're getting a transporter signal. And then like a less than one second long clip where they cut in him disappearing from Six Bay. Yeah. And then he's just back in his office, clicking away on his computer. Dunbar comes in goes, hey, boss, good to see you. Yeah, it feels like they are as close to launching the time ship as ever. Are Dunbar and Sterling the only two people that work at Cronauer X? <laughs> it's got to be a, kind of a creepy lobby area. <laughs> just a... just. One Starbucks barista waiting for the only two employees to walk through. Everything on the menu is like $500 so that they can afford to pay the rent in the lobby there. You know what's great about the Cronauer X building is that you call the elevator and it's right there. Just bang. Like as soon as you hit the button. That's nice. (laughs) Yeah. So Rain and Paris pull up to the, the parking lot downstairs and a truck gets moving 
and they they cop this as having some tachyon reading. So this must be the the time ship getting moved. Tachyon emissions. There's kind of a feeling of relief here that this isn't goodbye just yet. They get to spend a little more time together, and that's great. Yeah, because Rain's been, like, inviting him on dates and stuff, and he's, like, trying to let her down easy, but they realize, like, maybe they will, in fact, have to spend more time together, and I don't think either of them are mad at that. No. You wouldn't mind hanging with me for a while longer, huh? Back at the Denim Dan compound, uh, the feds have arrived. At least it sounds that way, right? We hear the firefight, but it's lasers and firearms yeah. that we hear. And they start shooting at the dock at the top of the stairs, and he stands there like the bullets are just passing through him. He's like Neo from The Matrix or something. Yeah. I guess the uh, the gadget on his arm is also bulletproof. And like buckshot proof, because like, yeah, there are like big chunks of wall falling out of the wall behind him as this stuff hits it. And he is not worried in the slightest. That's sort of the reason you use a combat shotgun is for its its blast pattern. Like, right. You're going to hit your target downrange. And (laughs) I guess even this idiot misses the target. God in heaven help us. Divine intervention is unlikely. I love how the doc so casually returns fire here. Yeah, he, he returns fire like he's indicating on a whiteboard with yeah, <laughs> with like a telescoping pointer. It's great. Good stuff. He rescues BLT and Chakotay. Mm-hmm. Good job, Doc. And then Chakotay has a weird line about how he's going to get some pipe-hitting Mayquis to come down here and go medieval on the insurrectionist's ass and... Then the internet forevermore will be torn in debate about whether he means like they like hit people with pipes or they're drug addicts who hit crack pipes. Yeah. And what he's talking about there. Yeah. There's a there's a band-aid on the doc's neck on the back of it. Don't know what that's from. <laughs> yeah. Unexplained. Kind of an interesting detail. We cut to a desert road in Victorville, California, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> Your favorite. Longtime viewers of the show will know a- You're home Vic- away from home. We'll know a Victorville check. The last major video job I ever had, basically, was a month-long job out in Victorville. Yeah. Where I, um, I became a regular at, uh, at the BJ's restaurant. <laughs> Stayed at the Holiday Inn out there. Try staying yeah. at a Holiday Inn for a month, Ben. Just try it. It's my it. fantasy. It's yeah. my fantasy. Uh- <laughs> Great country out there. Yeah. The imagery here really reminded me of that opening scene in Tango and Cash, the single big rig truck being mm-hmm. chased by a smaller vehicle. Or Duel. Just the idea of car versus truck is is such an iconic conflict. Yeah. An American conflict. Really fun imagery here. Yeah. Dunbar's at the wheel of the semi-truck. He's doing that thing where he's shooting his weapon out of the out of the window, except he's got a laser gun that just vaporizes things, but he misses. Yeah. And Paris gets rain to like get the van up closer so he can shoot out a tire. And he does. He does. But it, I, I thought that for sure they were going to get that shot of the of the semi like hitting a bad angle and tipping over. Yeah. But no, they cut away from it. And it's kind of like a weird incongruous cut because he's like, oh, are we safe? And she's like, I think so. And then it cuts to the like empty road and then the semi appears coming back the other way which is like what over you didn't hill. have time to get that far away it's a very useful hill for this composition <laughs> <laughs> it looks like dunbar is gonna ram the vw bus and yeah. uh, and paris and rain have to do that <laughs> they have to do the geordie dive basically which is a premature dive and roll yeah yeah <laughs> A dive and roll that would give Dunbar an opportunity to pick one of them to right. squish instead of the bus. Yeah. But uh, he does not get that chance because the race car shuttle comes down out of the sky and licks a shot at the front of the truck. And uh, he changes his name from Dunbar to Deadbar. <laughs> RSVP Dunbar. Yeah. Unfortunately, no RSVP to an actual semi truck. They they use an effect shot here, which yeah. is unfortunate but understandable. Yeah, they did not they did not really blow up a hundred and sixty thousand dollar big rig. Yeah. And also they did not blow up a time ship. The time ship was not in there. It's a switcheroo. They put like a transponder 
to spoof that in the back of the truck. And uh, turns out the time ship is back at the Cronauer X building. Do you think Dunbar knew he was driving the bait rig? That's interesting. Because um, I've got such respect for Dunbar's henching that I'm trying to determine whether or not I have a greater respect or less respect for him based on the answer to that question. I'm going to say that he did know because they probably like took the fake transponder down to the truck and turned it on together. And then, yeah, you know, he's the only then... em- other employee at Cronauer X. So like who else <laughs> is going to do that? He would have to have been wise. Yeah. Yeah. On some level. Oh, you don't look wise. If the doc were there, he'd look at Dunbar's charred body and know exactly mm-hmm. what that would have felt like. <laughs> you know, I briefly felt that sensation about two hours ago. <laughs> Very painful. Pretty glad I'm not a flesh and blood person because I would look like that. <laughs> right about now. Yeah. We get a great shot of the time ship kind of reverse 9-11-ing out of the Cronauer X building yeah. and taking off, and it's headed to space, headed to warp. I mean, Starling should have been a suspect from the beginning. He learned how to fly this time ship, but never learned how to land it. Mm. <laughs> no wonder he caused such death and destruction when he went to the 29th century. Yeah. They need to shoot it, but they don't have phasers, and they can't trigger a photon launch from the bridge. So... The captain, in the grand tradition of Star Trek colon generations, heads down to do some surgery on a torpedo. I got very excited for this scene. The idea of going to a brand new ship set intrigued me. Once again, we're giving Kim the big chair during an important moment. Indeed. And uh, the stakes have never been higher. Should be second nature to you by now. Crap. We get intense Kim eyes, and then we cut back down to... The road in the desert outside of Victorville. Where the last remaining steak and shake is. <laughs> <laughs> and the last remaining goodbye kiss between Tom Paris and uh, Rain Robinson. Have you ever shot outside where there was just a surprising amount of wind? I had to yes. do this a lot at the many airports that I shot outside at and it is so fucking frustrating to shoot talent in that kind of environment because you're not like greasing back anyone's hair you're not going to put an executive in a hat you're just going to do take after take until you find a spot where the wind dies down and this scene made me think of that because there is just so much wind blowing sarah silverman's hair around that like to get a kiss that keeps the hair out of their mouths had to (laughs) be so hard i was also just feeling for her because she has a face full of sunlight and when you're on camera and facing the sun you can't squint the way like normal people do when when they're facing the sun not on camera uh-huh. and she keeps her peepers all the way open the entire time in a way that i was like god that like i, I bet her eyes felt like shit for like a week after this After that kiss goodbye, uh, we cut back up to the bridge and the away team re-enters. Everybody is pretty dirty except for Tom Paris and the doctor. Yeah. (laughs) BLT and Chakotay are quite bedraggled, as is Tuvok. Um, Tuvok and Paris smell like a chili dog shit. (laughs) Yeah. And the doctor's just walking around the bridge like, hey, this is great. Isn't this neat? I'm on the bridge, guys. Wow, this whole thing is very interesting. And they're like, yeah, 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 buddy. Like, we got kind of bigger fish to fry right now. This is a heavy moment because Janeway's in the torpedo room. Everyone is back on the bridge. Everyone's kind of preparing for the worst in this moment. Yeah. Because if, uh, if Janeway can't get a manual lock on the time ship, it's over for everyone. They discuss like whether or not this disaster is inevitable. Is it like a foregone conclusion because we know it already happened based on the fact that Commander Braxton tried to kill us in the 24th century? Mm-hmm. Like, does that make this a fait accompli and we're just completing the time loop right now? Yeah. And Chakotay rejects that and... They lick this shot. They expend another torpedo on the time ship. <laughs> I like that there seems to be a sort of plunger device to manually shoot a torpedo out of Voyager, yeah. Yeah. which Janeway like, hits, and it knocks her out. It knocks her out. Uh, great take from Ed Begley Jr., uh, yeah. realizing that his uh, his goose is cooked. Oh. 
and he explodes and the temporal rift collapses and the Voyager crew grapple with the idea that there's not going to be a way to reopen it. They don't grapple too long though, right? And that rift isn't closed too long either. It is not. Because it appears once again and out of it emerges another time ship and Captain Braxton announces himself like a time travel tow truck captain. He's there to bring them back to their own time, but not back to Earth, even though they all ask really nicely if he'll do that. This is where you just got to know to tip, guys. Like a tow truck driver will take you to your destination. You just need to tip them. need to make it worth their while. Yeah. It's an interesting scene because it's kind of like the expo dump to the end of of like a detective show or something like now i knew that the killer had entered through the window because you know like he's Mm -hmm. like we have a temporal prime directive i can't return you to your desired destination in your time because like what we do is like police time and like make sure things aren't in the wrong place at the wrong time it like gives you this logical framework for why braxton did what he did and why he's doing what he's doing now despite the fact that his memory doesn't contain the part of history where he was homeless for 30 years in 20th century Earth. I like how little he says about it. I think that's crucial. It's so efficient. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like a deus ex machina or anything. Like it it like works in the episode, mm-hmm. which is kind of the biggest magic trick of this two-parter. The vibe here is so, so sad. When they realize that they're going back to the D-Quad and everyone's lost a little something here. I mean, all of them have lost the hope of being transported back to Earth, but Paris is feeling the the loss of his minuet, you know? I tried variations on the program. Others appear, but a minuet. Absolutely. The only person that's really come out ahead in this is the doc. Yeah, who is in the button of this episode, a toast in the mess hall where they celebrate another successful mission. (laughs) which I guess they don't do all the time, or maybe they do and it just happens off camera. Yeah. (laughs) The doc is free to use his hollow emitter as he pleases. Yeah. And he notes that he doesn't really have a place to live. That's too bad. And the captain is like going to be really stingy about giving him quarters. Like for what reason we don't know. (laughs) That bummed me out. Doctor, you must earn quarters on this ship. He's like, what about the room that Brad Dourif recently uh, gave up? There's a hole in it. It's fine. He can make the hole work. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, that is uh, Future's End Part 2. Did you like this episode, Adam? I really did. Really great two-parter. I love the concentrated sadness at the end of this episode before that button. Like we hang in that scene for a couple of seconds and I thought that was really well done. It's a non-verbal moment to experience that realization with them and that so many people are feeling that really hit hard for me. The only thing about this two-parter that I didn't like was becoming so attached to Rain Robinson that not getting the Dr. Jillian jump into the transporter moment with her where she gets to come up to the ship even for a little while yeah would have been fun like i would have accepted a visit but i would have loved a stay like i don't know when we're gonna get seven of nine on the show you say that we had to choose between her and jerry ryan but like well specifically rick berman had to choose (laughs) i'm I'm sure he did (laughs) but um but like it's too bad that we couldn't have some sarah silverman in the episodes leading up to that if if there is some yeah. time because Sarah Silverman was fucking great in the show and she rolled from this right into Larry Sanders show like wow. basically the same week she finished up here and she went into that and her acting career began she's so great in this and you know I'm on the record as having a deep skepticism of the use of time travel in Star Trek mm-hmm. when it is successful it is really successful and I think like Star Trek 4 this is an example of that yeah. It's such a fun episode. It's so tight. It like it starts so many threads in the first episode of the arc that it is able to resolve in a gratifying way by the end of the second that I man, I just had a blast watching it. It's it's really awesome. They really didn't choose the cheap laughs 
in this yeah. either. Like I mentioned before, like I could have used more fish out of more water. Uh-huh. I mean, but those are comedy moments not taken. Right. Tuvok unwrapping a chili dog like a dirty diaper and gazing <laughs> upon it before eating it is a moment like that's a ch- that's cheap laughter right there that they chose against. That's only the kind of laughter that a show like this would stoop to going for. That's true. Yeah. So as you say, they chose right. <laughs> well, uh, do you want to see if uh, anyone has chosen to arrange for a priority one message on this episode? I would never consider our P1s to be dirty diapers to unwrap, Ben. <laughs> but I'm bringing the powder anyway. Yeah, why not? Hope for the best and prepare for the worst. You so know, That's what we do every time. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is from Ben, and it is to Ben and Adam. Message goes like this. Thank you for the title of episode 371. Often your titles are mysterious to me until I watch the episode, but I immediately understood this one and... For possibly the first time since I started watching Greatest Gen way back in the very beginning, I was laughing before I even pressed play. You two are idiots. Please don't ever change. Ben, wow. what was the title of episode 371? The uh, the title of uh, 371, of course, was My Neck, My Back, My Reproductive Sack. That was one of your finest moments. That was that was great, great work by you. One of the great oh, titles. Yeah. <laughs> I do like that that is, uh, if you've seen that episode, you know what that title is about. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Fun times. Fun times were had by all. Ben gets Um, us. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you one way or the other whether I'm the person that bought that P1. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But our second Priority One message is from Your Silly Girl, and it is to Alan, and it goes like this. Happy birthday, Parmakai. Another trip around the sun. You're a wonderful human, and just keep getting better. Your patience and resiliency have helped us get through our own year of hell stronger than ever. There's no one else I'd rather have by my side on life's journey. Here's to next year's adventure together. Love you. Your Lindsay. That's a uh, a bit of a belated birthday message to Alan, but uh, hopefully still heartfelt. Wow, what a what a sweet thought by Lindsay to Alan. Indeed, years of hell, more like. <laughs> yeah, You're really stacking them and racking them. Years of hell, wise these days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, Alan. Uh, Alan's a lucky person. Well, if you'd like to get a P1 on the show, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullets, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I think for me, it's going to be startling just for being a smart playing dumb. That's what Shimoda is all about, right? Shimoda yeah. was a was a genius. Yeah. Shimoda was an engineer, but he was playing dumb. And that's Starling here. Starling's smarter than this. Yeah. He's making a lot of dumb decisions, though, out of avarice, right? He's a greedy man. Yeah. He's a real Elon Musk type. And that made him... Yeah, that 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 twisted his uh, his mindset. You know, they talk about how uh, how poverty causes you to make decisions differently. Great wealth must as well. You know. Yeah, and and henching too. Henching, henching makes well. you makes you do things that you wouldn't ordinarily do. Henching makes me feel good. <laughs> I wish they let Dunbar live. Yeah, Dunbar would have lived with secrets that are probably best not released though, right? Dunbar walks out of the flames of the semi-truck like the T-1000. <laughs> <laughs> Give me more Dunbar. <laughs> My drunk Shimoda is going to be Rain Robinson, mostly out of respect, honestly. Like, I, uh, I love that she is being intentionally lied to the entire time and is just, like, not going to stop busting Tom Paris's chops until... He lets something slip, and then what he lets slip is time ship. <laughs> yeah. And she's still into him. <laughs> I like how they didn't write her as dumb, you know? Yeah. Like, she was quick 
and with it. Yeah, and 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 when he treated her as dumb, she called him on it. You know? Yeah, yeah, good. really good character. Well, one thing that is never, ever, ever dumb, Ben, is the game of buttholes, the will of the prophets. It's the board game that determines how we're going to review episodes of this show. That's true. I've gone over there to take a look at where our runabout is, and it is on square 35. No kidding. One square ahead is Neelix's Galley. That's the square where we drink Talaxian champagne while doing the show. That's a square you're very likely to hit, given your unusually high propensity for rolling ones. Knowing all that, the last thing we need to know is what episode is coming up next. What's it going to be? I'm so glad you asked, Adam. It's uh, season three, episode 10, Warlord. (laughs) An injured alien named Tyrion transfers his consciousness into Kess's mind before he dies. He then gains control over her and uses her abilities to steal a shuttlecraft and return to his homeworld to attempt a political coup. Wow. I love that. They go down to that planet and she immediately just starts walking into broom closets. (laughs) (laughs) Any sailors in here? We're we're trying to start a coup (laughs) from inside these Miriam broom closets. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Well, Adam, why don't you get the, uh, the dice in your hand, roll it around, maybe blow on it. Let us know how we will be consuming next week's episode. Oh, boy. I rolled a five, Ben. Oh, big roll. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. It puts the champagne up far into the rear view. It lands us on square 40. That, of course, is just a regular episode of The okay. Greatest Generation on hey, deck. That's not bad. That's good. No. We can Many drink champagne whenever we want. That's a best case scenario. You think we need a, a game board square to drink champagne on the show? We don't. No, we could just do it. Yeah, I do what I want. Try and stop us. Yeah, it's fun to do bad things on the show. <laughs> it's, t- it's fun to make a bad show. <laughs> <laughs> it is fun to realize the support of the many friends of DeSoto out there. That support comes from a number of different directions. We mentioned at the top of the show, all of the reviews that this show has received over the years... Now in its fifth year of production. Something like that. Uh, It's amazing. If you are a longtime viewer of the show and have not yet reviewed it, do us a favor and give us a review on your podcatcher of choice. It really, really helps elevate the show like a bladder filling a sunken ship. (laughs) Like rises our show to the top for more Mm. people to see it. Yeah. And that's what we want. Great. We want more people to enjoy the show. If you'd like to get involved with a community of friends of DeSoto, they're all over the place. You can go to drunkshimoda.com. If you're a Discord person, there's the Facebook group. There's like a main Facebook group. And then there are all of these great breakout Facebook groups with different kind of specialty themes. Hey, listen, if you ever want me and Ben to become the Starling and Dunbar of Star Trek podcasting, it's going to take money. <laughs> Money makes the world go round, and you can support the show financially by going to MaximumFun.org slash join. Clicking on the Greatest Generation family of shows there, it keeps keeps us supported month to month and on a show that is not cheap to produce. Well, it uh, helps us cover the salary of our full-time producer, Wendy Pretty, and also the hard work of the card daddy, Bill Tilly, who runs our social media accounts. Follow us at Greatest Trek for some fun stuff. We got to thank Adam Raguzia, who made our theme music, and Dark Materia, who made the original Picard song. And with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager in which one of us has had our minds replaced by an evil person, but you'll have to guess which one. That's already happened, right? Yeah, probably. I think so. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.